This is Marianne Window. And this is Mary Lou Lloyd. Welcome to episode eight of How the Hell Did That Happen? Hello. <laughs> Hello. How's your week been? We're a bit late this week. A little bit late. Not too late. That's my catchphrase and I'm sticking with it. I know. We're a bit late this week. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've been busy. You've I've been, been in a, incredibly um, busy. I know. I've been in lockdown. Mm-hmm. I've been in social media lockdown. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where were you, by the way? Oh, well, I was in um, – I was staying in a hotel the last two weeks for my work. In Melbourne? Secret government work. Yes, in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Um, hello to Mark, who's been listening. I recruited one listener while I was out there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but – it's a place called Essendon Fields and it's really weird because it's like a compound. I called it the compound. Um, so <laughs> it's an old – it used to be the airport in Melbourne up until like oh. the 70s and it's where um, – The Beatles, I and, saw and the so picture. Okay, right. Yeah. That's weird. So the Beatles landed there. The yeah. Queens landed there before. Um, I've been – I've flown out of there to a flight for a gig once when Monique was on Sony and there was lots of money flying around, so they flew us on a little plane to a gig. (laughs) But it was Friday the 13th. You would have freaked out. (laughs) As long as Jimmy Buffett wasn't flying. (laughs) No, Jimmy Buffett wasn't flying, but do you know what? It was like being in an eight-seater minivan. It was like um, just the band and there were like, just enough seats for us there was six of us yep um and it was pre 9-11 it was like must have been 97 or something like that because the pilot was just there and he let us all have a turn of sitting up there and having a steer of the plane (laughs) (laughs) so there's photos of us all having a go like a whoa pulling the thing and dipping down a bit and all of that because I took a camera all the time in those days. Like I had a film camera. Mm. Um, so I had lots of funny photos from then. But um, <laughs> anyway, it was just weird because now, can you imagine anyone being able to just sit up there in the cockpit having a turn on the, <laughs> on the steering the plane? they probably do it. they probably reckon? do it. Well, we yeah. certainly didn't have to go through any security to get on board that plane. I remember mm, that. That's we cool. just had to basically walk from our. Car I love. I love little airports like that. I know. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, but remember? Do you remember that photo of um, Jimmy Nickel, the guy who replaced Ringo for the first few shows uh-huh. back in 1964 on that Australian tour? Because Ringo had tonsillitis, <laughs> so. He couldn't do the first couple of shows and this guy, Jimmy Nickel, replaced him on the drums and as soon as um, Ringo got there and was fine again, they sent him home and there's this photo, it's like an iconic photo of him sitting by himself at the airport in Essendon, at this Essendon airport, just they just had a row of chairs back then as like the waiting <laughs> chairs and, and they were actually iconic design chairs um, that I the, the Featherston, Grant Featherston designed them and I've actually got them as my kitchen table 
dining room table mm. chairs. Um, but he's sitting there by himself looking all forlorn and depressed. And <laughs> I've got to go back. That's him. <laughs> I know. Oh, that's wow. him. Mm. And and I'll post the photo later on our Facebook page so you can see it because it's, it's pretty amazing. You, it, it's one of those photos where it just – Tell you everything uh, yeah. that that guy must have been feeling. Yeah. It was really, it was oh, really cool. Cool. Well, not cool for him, but what one? What did <laughs> he go on to do? Photo. Did he go on to do anything well, else? I don't. I, I was reading somewhere that it pretty much ruined his life. Oh shit! Oh man. yeah. <laughs> I reckon it would. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah, because where do you go from that? Right. You know. Yeah. <laughs> tour and play with the Beatles and then no one cares. <laughs> you do anything else, no one cares. Mm. It's it's like anyone that has that five minutes or mm-hmm. 15 minutes, whatever you want to say, but it, you're just judged on that forever. Mm-hmm. So how do you come back from that? Right. This week we're going to start our series on your time with Kurt Cobain given that this week, February the 20th, is the date that would be Kurt's birthday. He would be turning 52. Can you believe that? Mm, crazy. 52. And we're going to have a series leading up to the 5th of April, which was the date that he died, 1994, which marks this year marks the 25th anniversary of his death. Mm. So that's a long time. That's crazy. I know, but it doesn't seem that long ago in the grand scheme of things, does it? No. So what we'll be doing is I'll be asking you how it all unfolded Mm. and what that time meant for you. Um, So we're going to get into the start of that in a little bit. But first of all, let's just have a little chat about we need a debrief on this whole situation that's unfolding about Ryan Adams given that we've just been talking about him his new release right. that single that I was raving about <laughs> and, and now it's all just gone horribly wrong hasn't it what's going on I mean I can't say I'm surprised isn't it weird how you sometimes have to separate you know like uh the music from what you know about the person or what if, if you do happen to know them as well, if they're a dick, you know what I mean? And and then you hear the music and you really like it and what a, uh, like I wonder if it ruins it for some people um, if they're a dick. But yeah, right. So I we know. were just talking about how much we liked this new record last week and, and then maybe we should just blame it on John Mayer, right? It would be a lot easier. Just... Well, I was going to blame it on John Mayer because... <laughs> He's got a reputation for being a dick as well. A womanizer. But I, see, I'd sort of erased my – I'd just gotten over the horrible introduction I had to to Ryan Adams when I first saw him live and it was when he was touring the Gold album and he played in Australia and he was off his head. He came on stage wearing a cape and he was just out of his mind and he was – yelling at people in the audience he someone of course yelled out play summer of 69 and he lost it he absolutely lost it he it was in this venue called the forum in melbourne it must have been 
2001 and it was it was late 2001 or early 2002 I can't quite remember but um you know gold had sort of broken through and here's here's this guy emerging from whiskey town and Ryan Adams everyone wanted to see him and and hear this stuff live for the first time in Australia and there were a lot of expectations on that gig going in I know I had expectations because I'd listened to the record a lot and here was this little brat (laughs) that got on stage and was just an absolute loser (laughs) and he had this fantastic band and they were just embarrassed you could tell Mm. and at one stage he had he turned the house lights on in this huge venue and said get rid of that person who said that who said that (laughs) and get get security take that person out get that you know fucking Oh, and he was just a little brat and everyone left that show going, what a loser. And I don't think I listened to his music for a couple of years after that. Yeah. I really, I couldn't, I just couldn't separate the music from the person. And I, oh, it, and now here it comes back around again. I can't say I'm surprised. Yeah. But he's just always been <laughs> yeah. spoiled and indulged. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, like, have you heard that um, answering machine message that he left on Jim Dirigatis's machine? I guess Jim no. gave him a bad review and he just went ballistic on him. Really, just wow. Yeah. Yep. Like, See, I thought he'd sort of turned a corner. This and was, this was old. This was a long time ago. But yeah. I toured with him. I toured with Whiskey Town. Um, well, I was going to ask you about that. So, what year was that? That was uh, that was when my record came out. So that would have been ninety eight, um, right? And I mean, what incredible talent, right? But what a brat! Like that's exactly it. I, I don't think he's like he doesn't strike me as some pervy, gross weirdo or anything. He just seems like a perpetual like a teenage boy you know what I mean like a brat like grow up and so you know if he's going after women that are younger it's like well maybe because it's so weird because his music I I love it right he's a great songwriter um and it's it's brilliant and it's mature and it's lovely and but he is just like adolescent asshole (laughs) and you know exactly and that that behavior reflects obviously his mental age well that, that's so exactly right that's that. exactly what i what mm. i meant so if he's going after younger people it's probably because he is actually 14 <laughs> yeah and older people will just say you're an idiot oh yeah exactly I'm not putting up with that exactly so he's so seeking he his... the water seeks its own level and that's about the level that exactly. he knows that inherently that that's what he's uh all about. you know but like i remember um backstage i had i had like some hair gel or something and um and every night, like, he would go into my dressing room and be using my shit and take it. And I'd be like, what are you fucking doing, dude? That's mine. You know, and it's just like, oh, I'm sorry. You know, like, this kind of thing. Just, like, it, he had the right to go in there and go in there and, and take my shit. Um, like a little brother, yeah. like a, like a, like a 
teenage boy. So, but as far as like yeah, predatory, I, I don't, I don't see that. I just see like he's an idiot, you know. And then if he drinks, I don't know. He might, he might have been drinking at these times that he was accused of these just unacceptable, pain in the ass, little shit behavior. Yeah, and it it also goes to show that if he's called on it, he just shrinks away, right? Or retaliates like a teenage boy would by saying, how dare you say that to me? Or yeah. you're an idiot. Or yeah. I know you are, you know, but what am I? You yeah, know, that know, kind of mentality. And yeah. so that's where when we spoke to Phoebe Bridges mm. and and – she what does she do she writes a song about it making fun of him which turned out to be like one of my favorite songs on that album um and and so of course he he wouldn't pursue that because he knows that she's not going to put up with any of his shit anymore and so he'll move on to someone else who's going to say, oh, Ryan Adams, you're fantastic. Yeah. And I'll do anything you say yeah. because you know what you're doing. And then <laughs> they get wise to it and he's going, oh, I've got to move on to someone else now. I and, guess so, yeah. And that kind of, thi- that mm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it was interesting, though, because I read a tweet from Jenny Lewis, who he produced her last album, and she said, I had nothing – but a professional relationship with him, but I stand in solidarity for the women that have come out and spoken and it troubles me very deeply to hear this kind of stuff about that he's done this. And she's not saying, oh, well, I don't think he did it, but obviously he didn't do it to her because she's like an older woman compared to him in terms of her maturity and being around the block and he would know not to pick her as a target, I would imagine. Yep. So it's right what you say about water seeking its own level. It's, yeah, I think it's, it's just an immature person that, um, it, it, it's, you know, you know, not not thinking rationally, and um, he probably doesn't really know who he is yet. You know. Exactly, and we must preface this all with alleged behaviour. Exactly, because we yeah we don't know the full story. But it is quite a story. It's all over the the news and everything. Yeah, and I think I know because he was married to Mandy Moore, who again, you know, she's in my favorite show, This Is Us, and she's I such know. a you know <clears throat> she's um a star, you know. Yeah, and did you hear what she had to say? She, she said he psychologically yeah. oh, abused yeah. her. He psyched her out and said, "You don't, you're not a real musician because you don't play an instrument." I saw and that. Said, "Yeah," and so she turned down all these meetings and opportunities because he'd psyched her out. Right. Yeah, that's fucking lame. Yeah, and so, she's got no reason to lie because she's doing really well. It's not like she's like, "I need some fame. I need some something." You know what I mean? She's fucking that that show is like number one in in america you know it's huge she doesn't fucking need his shit she doesn't need anything so for her to to say that i don't doubt it and also i think it's interesting that we never really hear the context either that you know someone might have asked her a question that led to that Mm -hmm. 
it's not like she just said, oh, okay, let's call a press conference. I'm going to call out all this bad behaviour on Ryan Adams. It seems like it was just a conversational thing. And yeah, it then... seems like somebody kind of collected all these conversational things and put them all together as like one big thing, you know, with Phoebe Bridges and then Mandy Moore and then the other people, right? And then it's like... Yeah, and there was that... That girl that said when she was fourteen, he oh, was, yeah. you know, texting her these inappropriate and, and things. And he's got that but, new record coming out, and everything. So yeah, right. Well, three records coming oh, that's out this right. year. Oh, I can't. God. Do you know what? I can't believe how he found the time <laughs> to do all this in between. Well, because he's records. he's not busy being a mature, uh, you know, adult male. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. No right. kids, and no wife, no family, you know, like, I mean, that way that he's got to worry about. I mean, that's really why he's got time to do it, because he's he might be slightly selfish. Yeah, and the, the selfish thing really came out when they were saying, well, there were multiple people telling the same story that he'd threatened self-harm and that kind of thing mm-hmm. if they didn't give him attention and that that really is the epitome of emotional blackmail isn't it oh absolutely you know yeah and and just running that whole responsibility deflecting bad behavior and spinning it around and that whole gaslighting sort of stuff yeah that it sounds like and uh, look hopefully these women will um get some kind of uh, closure if he tells the truth and admits that he's done the wrong thing, but mm-hmm. he's still kind of saying, well, I don't didn't know that I was doing that or I, I didn't say that to anyone underage willingly. Mm-hmm. I didn't know anyone was underage, but that's beside the point. Mm-hmm. You just shouldn't speak to people like that or treat people like that. Mm-hmm. It's just manipulation of power and, and it goes on all the time. It's just that he's the one that got caught for it this time. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's probably time... For him to grow up, <laughs> you know, I agree. Yeah, hopefully, but he is a great, great musician and a great songwriter. I cannot deny him of that. You know, me either. Yep. As much as, as much as people, you know, behave badly, you can't deny that they've got something else going on that's worthy, mm-hmm. and 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 it's sad when. People negate that by bad behaviour. Yep. Really. But it's interesting too because it's probably something that the music industry has been a bit immune from in the last few years because Hollywood's been getting the brunt mm. of it. But we all mm. know it's been going on for oh my God. since the dawn of time. <laughs> yep. Oh, producers. Oh, terrible behaviour. Mm-hmm. Oh, but Yeah. You know, I'm sure we're going to hear a lot more in the in the weeks, days, months, years to come. Yeah, unfortunately, and it's also a, it's it's a power thing. It's about power, and unfortunately, young women are usually the ones that bear the brunt of it. I yeah, I agree. Um, but on the flip side of that, you know, um, I think that I've read a few interviews with bands um maybe like Roy Harper or Led Zeppelin or something and um 
a lot of those women, you know, those young groupies, they were, they were really aggressive. You know what I mean? And, if, and these guys were very young themselves, um, not giving them any kind of a free pass or anything, saying that's right. But, you know, like uh, some of these bands, they're in America for the first time and they're very young and they're and they get loaded and these girls come in and they're groupies and again you know it's pro- it's probably difficult for for guys to um to uh understand really what what's going on and what this means and how not and how not to behave you know what i mean um, well that's true for a lot of young guys mm. but when you hear someone who's 40 doing it yeah that's exactly that's the difference isn't it yeah yeah I mean, you live and learn. You do live and learn and you can regret behaviour as a young person not realising the bigger picture and, again, not giving them a free pass. But you can sort of see how things might have unfolded in those situations. But with this Ryan Adams situation, if he's if he's initiating this by getting these people to work with him mm-hmm. and then manipulating them in that way. Yeah, that, that's a different thing. Absolutely. It's on another level, isn't it? Yep. But, anyway. you know, all they're all, um, I think, unique to uh, the situation, really. So it's not like it can't be painted with such a wide brush um, because these, you know, these dudes, like... I mean, I've known assholes. You've known assholes, whatever, power, mm. fucking hungry assholes. And, um, it, uh, I mean, we, we weren't there. You know what I mean? We, we weren't there. We don't know what happened. Um, but enough people are talking about Ryan Adams to be like, yeah, that fucking happened. He's a fucking idiot. You know, he needs to grow the fuck up, say he's sorry, and and uh, not, you know, not repeat this fucking behavior of a you know somebody half his age um might pull you know the shit um right but again uh it's these every relationship every interaction is unique onto itself so i don't know hopefully the shit will stop and these guys will be like hey man i could get in a lot of fucking trouble at the very least you know what i mean well, this is it, and that's what I'm saying. It's like, well, the, today it's Ryan Adams, but as we know, it's there's many other people that are doing the same kind of stuff and treating people in the same way, and maybe because he's been called out on it, maybe they'll rethink their behaviour. Absolutely they will. Right. Yeah, so let's hope that it becomes a positive thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it will, and good for these people for for um, being vocal about it and coming out and saying that this happened. Definitely, and it's definitely brave of them, and we support you. Absolutely. We support you 100%. Yeah. Time to grow up, Ryan. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so we've alluded to this, um, that we're going to talk about your history in a little bit more depth, coming up to February 20th, I think. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit. I'm going to ask you, because I've never really asked you in depth about this, but you've had so many things happen in your life 
for the short time you've been on the earth. <laughs> more things than most people. Well, more things that people in the world would would relate to. Um, and we, I'm, of course, referring to your history with Kurt Cobain and Nirvana. So first of all, I want to ask you, when did you first when did you first hear Nirvana? Uh, let's see. I first heard Nirvana. Um, I was living with this guy Jim, um, who's great. Um, Jim was my my roommate, and he worked at Rikodesk in Salem. So we lived in Boston. And one morning, it was like I don't know, seven in the morning. You'd be at work at eight or nine. So it was around seven in the morning. We're in the car, and this song came on the radio. We're, oh, right. So he was going to drive me to Salem that morning, and that's my hometown, as you know. Um, and I had mm-hmm. stuff to do. I had, to, I don't know, go, doctor's appointment or whatever, and I had to go up to Salem. So we're in the car at 7 in the morning, and the song came on the radio. And I was like, Jim, what is this? And he said, I don't know. And I'm, and so the song is going on. I'm like, this song is really cool. And I'm like, you sure you don't know who this is? And I just kept bugging him and bugging him. And he's like, Mary Lee, I don't know who this is. And so <laughs> we got where we were going, and I I didn't ever know who that band was. So about a week later, I met um, this this guy, Dave, Dave Gwiz. Um, and it turned out that Dave Gwiz was a DJ at the station that had played the, the song on the radio. Um, and Dave, you know, loved that demographic of music. He loved um, grunge and stuff like that. So that must have been, grunge didn't have a name yet. <laughs> so that had yeah. to have been 1990, um, something right. like that. Yeah, 1990. Um, so uh, I had met Dave, and Dave was on the air, and I said, I called him, and I said, hey, do you know the song that goes like this? And I sang it, and um, he's like, I think it's this band Nirvana. And I said, will you, will you play that song? And he said, yeah, I'll, I'll play one. I think it's the same one. Um, so he played it, and it was that song. And I loved it. Um, and so I, I got Bleach, right? It was on Bleach, and it was the song Dive. Um, oh my God, that's the first song I ever learnt to play on drums. Can you believe that? Right. And so, that was my favourite from that album I as loved, well. loved it, right. Um, and so I got Bleach. Um, and uh, to, yeah, so that must have been 1990. And then early 91, um, maybe February or something, uh, Dave said, you know, that band that you like, Nirvana, coming out with a new album. And he said, I have a, a an advanced copy on a cassette. And I was like, oh, my God, dude, you've got to give it to me. So <laughs> he gave it to me, and I would put it in my Walkman, and every day I, I would run. I would listen to it, and I was in a real healthy phase of my life, and I ran like three miles a day. I went to the gym all day. I was a gym rat. Um, so, wow. yeah, so I, I, I got the record probably in Feb, the tape in February. Um, and then 
I just that entire summer listened to it. I knew it inside out. I freaking loved it. So, um, yeah, uh, this is pre-internet, right? So I didn't know anything about yeah. this band. I didn't know where they were from. I didn't know what they looked like. Nothing. I just had this tape. And so, um, let's see. So I was in a little band with um, Juliana Hatfield's brother, Jason. Um, we were yeah. in a band called Chupa. And Jason liked to pull pranks on me. And he, um, I also loved Teenage Fan Club at this time, around the same time. Um, I had seen them and f totally fell in love with that band. So I got on my message machine um it was this person with a scottish accent and he said that it was J jerry he's like this is jerry love and um <laughs> and you should come to the rat tonight um because i'm gonna be there something <laughs> and so i was like what the fuck that's really weird and i didn't know it was jason um and yeah. then that was it but i didn't know who it was from this phone call because there was no caller id whatever and then the same day my friend Dave, the guy from the radio station, Dave Gwiz, said, you should go to the Rat to see the Melvins. You'll really like this guy's hair. Because I had a thing for oh, guys buzz. with cra <laughs> crazy curly hair <laughs> and big crazy hair. So he's, he's like, you go, go to see the Melvins. So I, I said, okay. And um, I, went, I rode my bike down. I had this really cool old Columbia bike from like the 50s with this awesome back rack that I used to ride everybody around on the back. Um, mm -hmm. So I rode my cool bike down and I saw the Melvins. They were great. And I'm like, I wonder if Jerry Love is going to be what this night. It was just like this weird night. Right. So I'm thinking that for some reason, Jerry Love might be here. Um, it was Jason, and he was like, he was at the show, I think, and he said, did you get my message? And I'm like, that was you, you bastard. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, what, the show. What year was this again? All right, yeah, so this was, um, yeah, that this was just after that summer, so this was 91, and I okay. had gotten the tape in February of 91, so this was September, mm -hmm. and okay. um so I went to see the Melvins, and I was leaving the show and um, walking outside, and these three dudes were um, trying to get in. Um, and, you know, they were talking to the, the door guy, bouncer guy. And I was just about to leave, and the guy, I heard him say, what's your name again? And they said, Nirvana. And he's like, and he looks at the paper, and he's like, I don't see you on the list. And I was just like, you know, I stopped short, right? There was no one around. Um, I stopped yeah. short from leaving. And I turned around to the guy and I said, you should let them in. And he goes, who the fuck are you? <laughs> and I go, you should just <laughs> let them in. And I looked at them and then I was like, holy shit, right? So I went back downstairs and the band were, you know, wind, winding down and there were people kind of milling around, but there was no music happening. Um, so I said to Dave, who was there, I said, Dave, that band Nirvana's here. He's like, oh, no. He's like, oh, that's right. They're doing a gig tomorrow. And I'm like, you fucking didn't tell me. Um, <laughs> so he's like, and I'm like, well, I hope they get in. And then about five minutes later, they came in. And um, and I was like, oh, look, Dave, they made it in. 
And so I didn't know which guys, I didn't know who they were, what they looked like. I didn't know anything. So the dude with the blonde hair came over and he said, hey, thanks for helping us get in. And I was like, oh, the show's been over for a while and they should have let you in, you know, whatever. And um, and so I said, I... I said, oh, you're in the Nirvana band. <laughs> He's like, yeah. And I'm like, yeah. I-, I thought he was the roadie, right? Because he, yeah. he just didn't look like the person that I figured was the singer. Because uh, he yeah. was small and kind of, I-, I just didn't picture him to look like that. And I said, which guy in the band are you? And he said, I'm the singer. And I play guitar. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> and um, <sighs> just then, this dude, Anthony, came over and, and he's like, hey, Mary Lou. He's like, I heard you playing in the subway. You sounded really good. He's like, do you have a cigarette? And I know that this guy doesn't even smoke, right? And so, but he, I think he knew who I was talking to, even though I didn't know who yeah. I was talking to. So all of a sudden, everyone's like, oh, hey, Mary Lou, you know. And, <laughs> and so he, my new friend is standing there. He's like, you play music in a subway? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, oh, well, he's like, that's cool. What what do you play? And I said, oh, you wouldn't know it. Um, and I really didn't think he would know it, right? <laughs> I wasn't trying to be a smart. Yeah. And he said, no, I like a lot. What do, you, what do you like and what do you play? And I said, well, I said, I love Teenage Fan Club and Daniel Johnston, this guy that nobody knows who he is at all. Um, and I like... Um, I." The, the Vaselines and the pastels and some stuff on Flying Nun because that's the shit that I've been listening to. And he's like, those yeah. are my favorite bands, like, in order. And I'm like, no, they're not. I'm like, you don't know who they are. <laughs> and he's like, yes, I do. And I'm like, name me your favorite this, you know, maybe name me your favorite. And I was like, holy shit, you do know, you know, like, and it was cool. Like, it was weird because I, I didn't, really know a lot of people that knew this kind of music this music was really new you know what I mean like I was Mm. a big folk person and um at that time uh there was not there just wasn't a lot of that crossover um you know and I had only heard Daniel Johnston maybe a year the year before um and like Sebado right and there just weren't a lot of singer songwritery kind of acousticy people out there, um, mm. and anyway, so I was talking to him uh, that night, and I said, "You know, what are you guys doing?" And he said, "Well, we've got a show tomorrow. Our record's coming out in a couple of days." And I was like, oh, shit. I didn't want to say, yeah, I've heard it for the last eight months, you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> but I was like, oh, that's that's cool. You know, and I was just trying to really play it down. Um, and so he was like, uh, do you want to go upstairs? And I was like, yeah. So we went upstairs and it was quieter up there. And we just talked for a really long time. And. I said, where are you staying? And he said, at the Howard Johnson, which was kind of down the street. And I said, oh, do you want to ride home later, ride back later? And he's like, yeah, yeah, that would be great. So we finished up hanging out there, and he said hi to Melvin's guys. And um, we were walking outside, and I started to unlock my my bike. And he's like, oh, I thought you said you got it. And I 
you're going to give me a ride, you know? And I said, yeah, you sit on the back. <laughs> so he sat on the back rack thing, and I rode him back to the hotel. And we sat on the wall in front of the Howard Johnsons there on Com Ave for hours. You know, the sun came up, and then he said, I really want you to come to the gig tomorrow. Um, and I said, all right. You know, so I, I the next day went home, went to sleep, woke up, and then I went to the gig. And then, um, and that's pretty much how I met him. Where was the gig? Um, the gig that they did was um, in yeah. Boston. I think it was at a place called like Axis or something like that on Lansdowne Street. And it was part of this WFNX um, radio station sponsored event um, it co um, in conjunction with their record release of Nevermind. Oh, okay, so so it was like a showcase type thing or could anyone Yeah, it, uh, the Smashing Pumpkins um, and Nirvana and I forget, Bullet La Volta maybe, I forget who mm-hmm. else. Wow. See, you're all about the test and that made me laugh when I heard you say that because <laughs> you always are about the test. Like you you'll you'll test people. There is out a lot you can learn about people by the music that they like, honestly. Uh, I agree. I, I can tell if agree. we're gonna be friends right away. <laughs> by the answer. It is very true. It is very true. And it it's really good when you're surprised by someone's answers because it's like you you size people up and you can judge them really easily and we all do it but you only have to ask a couple of key questions and in your case and in my case a lot of the time you can tell a lot about someone by the music they listen to. I, I couldn't believe it I, I was just like I had never met anyone that um, like Daniel Johnston. I didn't know anyone else that liked Daniel Johnston. I loved yeah. him. I heard him on the radio. I I went out and found his tapes and stuff like that. It was completely on my own. It wasn't like, you know, I had a bunch of cool friends that said, uh, check this out. You know, it was like just me. And it was a little bit weirdly lonely to, um, yeah. to you know, not be... Most of my friends were in the folk rock, in the folk world, not even the folk rock world. Like they were folkies. I came from the this club, Passim, that was my my main hang. And Sean Colvin um, was a really good friend of mine, and so it was a lot of coffee shops and a lot of Sean Colvin and a lot of um, you know Patty Griffin and Dar Williams and like that. And then I kind of I just got really into this new other kind of stuff through Daniel Johnston really and I remember when I heard Ah. him on the radio I thought it was a woman and I pulled the car over and found a payphone and called the station I was like who's that woman singing about the motorcycle and they're like oh ha 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 that was not a woman that was Daniel Johnston a dude and I'm like well where do I get because he had such a high voice I didn't know and I said where do I get his music and they said in at go check in your ear so I went to right away I went to this record store called in your ear and um and I said do you have Daniel Johnston records they're like no but we've got some tapes 
So it was like, hi, how are you? And I think, yep, jump. So I bought them, and then I said, what What do you call this music? And they're like, uh, lo-fi? Um, <laughs> you know, they're like, we don't, we don't know, lo-fi? And I said, what else will I like? And I remember they gave me the Centrido tape as well that ah. day. Um, and I just was like, God, oh, this is kind of like folk music. Like, I just inherently yeah. thought I could... I could do this. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I went to Berkeley, by the way, you know, Berkeley College of Music, where mm. it's all like very, very studied kind of jazz and it's very high, high tech music kind of shit, right? <laughs> and I thought I'll never did be you, a musician, did... really. I just wanted to be some, like an engineer <laughs> or something. But I didn't take myself seriously because I sucked compared to these people. But when I heard uh, Daniel Johnston and Sabado and well, some certain folk music, I thought, well, that's pre that's pretty easy. You just need some good words and a really good melody. You don't need to, you know, no augmented ninths and major diminished flat sevenths and <laughs> whatever. You know what I mean? It was like, yeah, this totally. is cool. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. It's like you've got to trust your ears, and I know we say that all the time. But, see, I didn't hear of Daniel Johnson until until the photo of Kurt Cobain wearing the T-shirt. And I went, oh, what's that? Yeah. And so he was an influencer, obviously, back in those days. But this is pre all of that that you connected on that level. And Well, also, is it mean, mean liking Daniel Johnston and – Stuff like that, right? And and Centrado, mm. um, and some of those, and and Teenage Fan Club, and the Beatles, and all that. It was really a way that I could connect with this person because I think he might have yeah. felt kind of lonely. Like I don't know any pe people that like him either. Maybe a couple. I mean, well, coming from Olympia, he was probably exposed mm. to a lot, especially with. You know, the K label being there, Calvin and Slim and um, mm. Kurt was very lucky um, that and and Chaos, the radio station at Evergreen. Um, but here, it I had WERS right, um, but this is stuff that you had to be kind of an astute listener or somebody or know somebody cool or just. I don't know, really be eager for something that wasn't um, like hair metal or whatever the fuck was right. going on. Yeah. Exactly. Well, you had to know where to find it. And if you're listening to something that you know is going to play interesting new stuff and your ears are open to it, you're more likely to find it. But it's only a small percentage, definitely, that make it through that avenue because not many people can everyone likes something familiar don't they that's the thing everyone everyone wants to hear something they know so it takes a certain kind of listener to seek stuff out I think yeah I, I think so too you have to be a fan really yeah well it's interesting because I saw Teenage Fan Club a couple of nights ago oh, here in Melbourne. Right, that's right. Yeah, How but was there that? was no Jerry. There was no Jerry Love. Mm. He wasn't. He's not in it anymore. So he could have been 
He could have been still leaving messages on your phone by <laughs> Jason Hatfield's brain. Oh Who my knows? God. But it just wasn't the same. I mean, they were sick too. They'd caught up, oh, they'd caught right. some bug in Japan. Yeah. And so they, they were struggling a bit. And also, um, Ray had to was singing a lot of his songs, and you know there were no Jerry songs, but Norman they they did a great job, but mm. it just wasn't wasn't the same. You gotta have Jerry, <laughs> I know integral part. He's great but anyway, but that but that's a fascinating introduction to meet someone like that, and obviously, in hindsight, you you would never know how iconic Nirvana were going to become. I know that's the whole thing, you know, and I, I sometimes wish, God, it would have been cool if some of this was recorded or whatever, you know, for me saying, you know, thinking, turning to Dave and saying, I think that guy's the roadie. I don't think that guy's the singer, yeah. you know, just funny little, you know, how that whole thing went down. It was really cool. It was really special. And at that time, like, you were in it too, the early 90s, and you could feel yeah. the change coming. You know, you could feel the electricity in the air and, and that there were just, it had, it had blown open, you know what I mean? Like the whole thing was was about to explode and there were advantages and there was money there and um, it was just on the crest of something huge. You could feel it, you know? Yeah, because... Um Bleach obviously was on Sub Pop and I first heard it because my brothers, my older brothers, were well, one of my older brothers was a big fan of anything that came out on Sub Pop. Mm. So he'd just buy everything. And he still has the seven inch of Love Buzz that first came out, the first pressing, because he used to just get all that stuff. And he and I remember he and my sister went to see Nirvana when they came to Melbourne they only came that one time but I missed out on getting a ticket and I wasn't really that across it I was like oh yeah I'll go but it was a summer night it was boiling hot and by the time I went round to getting a ticket they'd all sold out so I I missed out I missed my chance (laughs) basically because I was lazy and you know preoccupied with other things but it's interesting because you said that you know, you had your ERS radio station and and um, record stores and those little, little places that, that would clue you in on these things. And in Melbourne, we were lucky or we still are lucky because we've got a radio station called Triple R, which is a community radio station and they play all that stuff. And I used to listen to this show, particularly, it was called Station to Station on Friday mornings and... I always listened to that and they played a lot of stuff that was coming out of um, America. Like they played a lot of Boston musicians too and I I remember hearing you on that show too a few times. (laughs) And and it was interesting because, you know, then I went to Rock and Roll High School, which I've talked to you about before, but then all those bands would come and visit this school, this, this room of, you know, young kids play music and the Melvins actually came once too and I remember meeting that guy Buzz with the big hair and thinking (laughs) the same thing about the hair it was just amazing yeah 
but you know that the connection that we make through music is it's always very strong and it's always very telling because I think people that last the distance in terms of friends always have a similar music taste mm -hmm. or if not they're able to convince people <laughs> to like something they like because they're so passionate about it exactly and that's you know one thing about about him is that he he was a real fan um of of music like stuff that was pretty you know what i mean he liked stuff that was pretty he he loved the beatles and he loved stuff that was melodic and different and um daring and sort of um appreciated someone that might have been an underdog like daniel johnston he loved him um and so he was a real real fan of stuff that was kind of off the beaten path but he also struck me listening to his music and nirvana's music even though it was very um covered in distortion and 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 wall of sound type thing if you strip that back there is a lot of melody in there and you can tell that it's influenced by pop music, but not pop music as we know it today. Mm -hmm. Pop music as in popular music of the bygone era, mm -hmm. you know. You can tell that there's a lot more underneath the surface than you just first hear when you hear those guitars and the mm -hmm. big rhythm section. And, and you can always hear the words. And yeah, some of the words didn't make before. sense, but you could hear them. No. Yeah. yeah. But it was also that stream of consciousness that came out that you'd have to listen to it a few times to fully get the whole grasp of the song, I reckon. Mm. It wasn't an instant. It wasn't always instant in terms of you got something more out of it each time you listened to it. Well, that's what I thought. That's what I thought anyway. Yeah, there was just so much about that band that was incredibly unique, I feel. Um, yeah. And, yeah. It was multi-layered. Definitely. And we really haven't, and we've, there's been so many imitators, but we really haven't had anyone like that since, I don't think. Um, no. <laughs> I, I would have to agree. Um, I, I will say... Um, you know, it was weird, and we were going to talk about this anyway, that um, probably, I don't know, maybe seven months after Kurt Cobain died, um, I met Elliot Smith. Um, it might have right. been even, yeah, about, yeah, about seven, six, seven months. And I met Elliot, right? And it was like the same feeling that I got from Kurt Cobain, not not like a romantic thing or anything like that, just musically, um, a very different delivery, but the same message and feeling that I got, where Kurt would scream and and sing nonsense words and whatever. Um, Elliot was singing very precisely, very lyrically driven, 
melodically driven and much quieter, but it was the same release um, and the same kind of excitement when I heard Elliot for the first time, really, that I was like, oh my God, this is going to be huge. You know, maybe not hugely popular, but, but huge. This was heavy and huge and epic. You know what I mean? Like, and I, so mm. when Kurt had died, because I had thought, all right, he's with Courtney Love, right? This is not going to fucking last. And when it ends, I'm going to, I'm going to get in touch with him somehow, or he'll get in touch with me. And I'm going to say, what the fuck were you thinking? <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I was going to, you know, like it was inevitable that that's what was going to happen. And then it didn't. And it was such a loss because not only did I lose him the first time around to Courtney, right, but I lost him again kind of thing when he died. Mm. And then there was going to be no closure and no none of me saying, what the fuck were you thinking? You know, um, so it was a lot. And then when I met Elliot and he came into my life, it, you know, it, it softened all of that and I could put my my feelings and my sort of, you know, my love, right, um, into this uh, and mm. and hold this, like, preciously, like, God, I don't want to lose this. You know what I mean? It, it just meant so much to me, his music and his friendship. Um, just, like, wow. It was really, really special. Yeah, I, I can't even imagine what you must have thought when you first saw him play but let's talking about when you first heard Nirvana play go go back to that that um showcase oh and so you went <laughs> yeah so I so you went, I went to, to it did show. you go like did you go to sound check with them or did you did you meet mm, them after I know I think happened? I just tell came, us what happened I think I just um well, I was really tired. I think I slept all day because I'd been up all night until probably seven in the morning shooting the shit with them on the wall in front of the hotel. Mm. Um, so I slept all day and then I woke up and I I went to the show. Um, so I think I got there like after the first, second band um, and I saw them play and they were pretty rough around the edges, you know what I mean? They, they didn't sound quite like the record, um, mm. but they were great. And it was there was so much excitement and electricity in that room. Um, and uh, yeah, it was, it was cool. And then that night um, after the show, um, we went back to where I was living, which was Billy Ruane's apartment. Billy was in McLean um, in my job living there was to alphabetize Billy's record collection, um, which oh was my God. incredible, right? It was, it lined the walls of this entire apartment. And I think I got as far as C. And or, I was going to ask you what letter yeah, we were. I took C and D and I said, <laughs> fuck this shit. You know, it's just stupid. It was like, I'm never going to get through it. I can't. Uh, so anyway, I lived in this cool apartment. And so that night, um, Kurt came back to the apartment with me and he's like Jesus who lives here and <laughs> I'm like well I do but it's Billy Ruane's apartment he's like Jesus you know and there was so many records and there was stuff to do and it was really fun and so we just played records and 
Um, I, like I told you, I, I was a health freak. I didn't drink, I didn't smoke, whatever. <laughs> and, um, and so that night I, I drank a little bit and smoked some butts like an idiot, you know, because we're hanging out with Kurt Cobain, what the fuck, you know? Mm. Um, so, but, <laughs> so we were a little bit buzzed and we listened to records and, and then, uh, he's like, I want you to play for me, play for me, play some Daniel John, you know? So I started out, um, playing for him, right? I played some Daniel Johnston and some Sean Colvin. I played Polaroids. Holy shit. Oh my God. Right. If you knew what the <laughs> song's about, it's just crazy. And then, and then I looked at him and I started playing some Nirvana. Right. And the record had only come out like that day or it was coming out the next day. Cause they were in Boston for like three days. Um, mm. so I think this was like September 21st and their record came out September 22nd. So, Anyway, I started playing all these Nirvana songs that I had been working out to and running to all summer, and I had learned them badly, but I knew them. And so I started playing songs off Nevermind, and Kurt just looked at me like, what the fuck? Because the record wasn't out yet, right? <laughs> Here he is, 3,000 miles away from Olympia, where he lived. Here's this girl, um, you know, that he, that he just met and um playing nirvana songs like a lot of them right and he just looked at me like how how what the fuck and i'm like i know and i said please don't tell that i had the advanced copy of your record i really really <laughs> do like your band i know who you are your band i didn't know who you were because i didn't ever see a picture and he's like holy shit so his mind was blown you know what i mean just oh, I like bet. right it was so crazy um you know oh my I'm, god that was really brave of you to play i'm like i'm a lot of an albino a mosquito my libido yay you know he's just, and he's just sitting oh there if you can god. like now i think of this i'm like holy fucking shit you know here i am in my little grungy jeans and my angora sweater i was dressed just like him you know it was just bizarre i had this little bob haircut you know and like i was i looked very different because again i was uh, going to the gym for the last eight months and riding my bike and being really healthy and just this i was in a really good time of my life and and you know so talking to him and about Olympia, about his, about growing up, and and about Toby, um, she was the drummer from Bikini Kill, and how much he loved Bikini Kill, and you know how it didn't work out with Toby, um, and then so he was he was single, he was a single guy, um, he was yeah. still totally in love with Toby, um, but he was at kind of this point of his life where. Everything was about to begin, but I did recognize that um, he might have had a drug problem, you know, even then. He was romancing um, heroin, right? We had talked about that a little bit, talked about drugs a little bit, because um, we're feeling each other out, really. And I said mm -hmm. to him, I said, you know, I, I had worked in an, a record store, right, at Mystery Train, and I had worked with a guy who had a hard time with drugs. And so I I knew how bad it was. And I said, listen, you know, like, you can talk to me about anything, but don't ever talk to me about heroin because I just don't want to hear it, you know? 
I said I've mm. seen too many people go go down very very dark roads and dark places and die and I I just can't I can't let that in my life at all. Um so well that was yeah that was a smart thing to say but well it was but you. it was also you know weird because he again like I think he had been like starting to dabble in it and he had mm. highly romanticized it um and mm. might have already had a problem I I know for a fact that the stomach issue that he had was definitely real um just because mm. walking around with him and he'd have to stop like every block and sit down and oh my god my stomach oh my god my stomach and he was like it's weird because you know you see him on tv or um you know the mtv um acoustic thing where he's playing some you know the bowie one or all apologies and he just looks like an angel right he looks beautiful like this mm. angelic man boy person whatever and Really, in re in <clears throat> actuality, like he, he was like slothy. You know, he walked with like a hunchback. He was really, really skinny. He had really, really bad skin, and he was just a fucking mess. You know, like you would never look mm -hmm. at him at that time and go, "That's the, that's the rock star singer guy." You'd be like, "No, that's the fucked up roadie guy." <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's just like so he how, was so how real. Old was he, how old was he then? He was he was twenty four, because I was twenty six. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's young. Yep. Because to me, I mean, I was only a couple of years younger than that. Again, but to me, he always looked like an old soul. Like he looked old. Yeah. Even though he was yeah, he'd like, been through he, a lot. He, Definitely yeah. carried 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 around a lot with him. I think. Yeah, and you could tell that just by the way he sort of, as you say, by the way he walked around. Yeah, and, he walked like an old man. Yeah, and even on that um, MTV Unplugged thing, he just seemed like he was worn out. Well, I thought he looked really good on that thing. Um, but yeah, worn out. Yeah. He'd just done it all and he was just there playing. But he did look good. Like he, his hair looked really good and, you know, he, he looked like he'd sort of come through the other side by the time he got to that. Mm. But as we know, that wasn't the case. But um, so back to the gig, did... So you played him all those songs from <laughs> Nevermind. Yeah. And I just can't even imagine how spun out he would have been about that. Well, yeah, I mean, they weren't big at all, right? They were beginning mm. to, you know, in a kind of a indie rock, college rock thing, they were getting kind of big, but they weren't big at all. Um, and so... I don't even think he thought that they would be that big. I think that they thought that they might be like Pixies big or Sonic Youth big, mm. but not big, huge, big, rock star big. <laughs> um, so, yeah. you know, here he is um, so many miles away from home. And the record, again, that's the whole thing. If the record had been out for even a few weeks, but it wasn't out yet, 
and I was playing these songs, and I hadn't mentioned when I first met him, like at the gig at the Melvins thing a couple days before. I wasn't like, "Oh my God, I love your band," I'm a, you know. I was just like, "Oh, I know, I know about your band." You no, know, I played it really cool. Quite cool. Well, I did because I was like, first <laughs> yeah. of all, again, I didn't know which guy he was, so I was thrown off, and I didn't want to be like, "Oh, I'm gonna." get get all with the roadie guy here <laughs> not knowing yeah. who he was and so um i didn't want to give too much away because again i i just had no need for that whatever um and if he was exactly. the singer guy i definitely wanted to play it cool because i was a fan i didn't know what they looked like but it didn't mean that i wasn't a fan yet and because they weren't rock star yet but i was still a fan the same as I was huge fan of Elliot and and now huge fan of Phoebe Bridges. She's not rock star, but I in my mind I <clears throat> I can't separate the fact that she's not a rock star yet cuz to me she's a fucking rock star. Exactly. And 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 <laughs> as well with um First Aid Kit, you know, when I first Mm. started liking them you know in my mind I was like they are rock stars oh my god you know and now and you know what yeah. Cla- Clara's never forgotten that because she told me that you told her that that's so cool when you first met her and she said I will never forget that that's reserved and she just for, told me that that is reserved for you know very 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 special like it doesn't happen you know what I mean? Like, I so with Phoebe Bridges, I'm just like, yep, all day long, you know? It's so special. After after that that night you spent with Kurt, did they have to leave Boston then? Where did they go next? They went... What happened next? Right, they went... Um, so I think they did three shows in Boston. And, um, oh, my God, so the, the day after we... He spent the night, right? And then he was like, I really want you to open our show. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. And he's like, no, you have to, you have to. And I'm like, dude, I can't do that. I'm like, all these people know wow. me as Subway Girl, you know, like dorky, you know, twee Subway dipshit, right? And he's like, oh, just bring the guitar anyway, you know? <sighs> and he fucking, that's the other thing. Like the guitar that I had was this beautiful Martin. He loved it. Right. And so he's like, just bring the guitar and bring the guitar. And so I'm like, okay. So we brought the guitar and, um, and he had the second gig or third or whatever the hell. And he was holding my hand. Right. And we, it was a huge line to get in. And, um, and so he's holding my hand and he's carrying my guitar and we walked by all these people in the line and I know they were thinking, that's dorky subway girl. What's she doing with him? You know, kind of. <laughs> and um, at the very last minute, I was like, dude, I cannot, oh, I can't play to these people. These are your people. They're going to hate me. And he's like, come on. And I'm like, no, I'm not doing it. So I, I, in the end, I didn't do it. So, well, that that was really cool, though. Um, and he just, again, this my this guitar was 1953 Martin D18. And he loved it. So, Anyway, that show was great. We hung out again, and then um, then they played in New York. Um, so he left this epic message on my machine. He's like, you've got to come, you've got to come. And I had this job, like I said, at the record store. And um, and, they, and I was like, i got to go to New York. And they're like, okay, okay. Um, and so I went to New York, 
and I got there a little bit um, late. The show had already happened. Um, I forget uh. where they played. Um, place that begins with an M. Um, and and he, but he was really happy that I was there, and he introduced me to um, Kim Gordon and all the people that were there. It was cool. And then that night or the next night, um, they were going to be having um, Smells Like Teen Spirit on MTV, the debut, right? The first time ever. Wow. Um, so he had never been on TV before. Um, so they were staying at the Roger Smith Hotel, I remember. And um, we're all getting ready to watch 120 Minutes. And it was just like Kurt and my friend Deb that I invited over and me and Chris and Dave. And um, so we were in the room and getting ready to watch 120 Minutes. And he told me all about the video, like where they where they made it at Fairfax High and the janitor and all the people and blah, blah. And it came on and and Dave and Chris were like running in, in and out of the room and they were calling their moms and Kurt was calling his mom and we were jumping up and down on the bed going, holy shit, you're on MTV, you're on MTV. And it was, it was just incredible. I mean, in a musician, like when you grow up with MTV like we did, right, um, it's like that is the epic that that's the top top notch echelon it's between you know you you get on mtv and then you win a grammy um and you can be on the radio whatever oh my god it's the biggest thing ever you just never forget your first time on on tv it's like jesus you know this is what we worked so hard for holy shit we're on mtv and it was still pretty cool you know so that was incredibly incredibly fun um so yeah, we did that, and then we went. I remember we went to a party at um, Amy Finnerty's apartment. Um, that was either that night or the next night, and then we all went um, to this bar, um, and we there was a jukebox there, and um, I was like, let's let's put on some disco music, and we put on some dance music, <laughs> and I was like, come on, Kurt, you're gonna dance with me, and he did, you know, he just danced his ass off, like, to, and I mean, all those people that were at the party, they were, I think they were MTV people, maybe some Geffen people, but they can attest to it, like, Kurt danced his ass off, and it was just the beginning of something fucking awesome, and uh, <laughs> you, you know what I mean, it was like, what the fuck, yeah. is this real? And, you know, I started to... Oh, my God. Get... Could you imagine if that happened today? There'd be <laughs> just like a hundred million clips of YouTube footage of that. Of, oh, God, I know. Yeah, but we didn't have cell phone. You know, there was no cell phones and no one really carried... That's the other thing. Like, I've got a couple pictures of him that I took, um, but I... I hated cameras, you know, because they were bulky and you'd get kind of buzzed and lose the camera. And where are you going to put the pictures in a in a shoebox in your mom's attic? You know what I mean? Yep. Like there was no place to like. Okay, they were cool for you, but and then you you think this moment is going to last forever? We're young, um, you know, or you just didn't suspect that they they would ever get to be big, huge rock stars. You know, you just right. be like, oh, these are just people. Like, I've known a million people, and th- this is a fun moment, and then have a little moment in the sun, and then, it'll, then it will end. 
never ever in a million years did I suspect that what happened would happen, you know. And I bet they didn't either. No, I mean, you could kind of feel that there was, like, again, that there was excitement about all this, and it was because it was so different. Um, you know, like, these little bands were starting to get really popular, and and again, like, bands like... Um, like Guns N' Roses and all those hair metal bands and all that phony bullshit, right, was starting to go away. And this stuff that seemed real, right, was starting to become more and more apparent that people wanted this. They wanted mm. something real. Absolutely. And and it just shows that defining mark of our popular culture as well because – that whole grunge movement, I mean, have there, I mean, has there been a movement since then that's really defining like that in music? I know we can say there's been the resurgence of the singer-songwriter and the and the sort of um, re-emergence of folk songs and stories and things like that, but there hasn't been anything so different that, it sparks off a whole new genre, I don't no. think. And I think, you know, that with the advent of the internet, um, <clears throat> I don't know if it ever will again because there's so mm. many different places that people can put their time um, and everything is so fragmented, whereas when, uh, uh, you know, all those bands like, like, the early 90s bands and then the end of the 90s it really marked a big end of something um you know what mm. i mean with the labels when they folded and and when the corporate like schmirnoff bought universal and then the whole thing kind of collapsed and then limewire came into the you know so it was like music became for free and it was just weird because labels weren't going to make any money so they weren't going to invest mm. any money anymore not like they did um so mm. everything is just so fragmented because people have so many choices now you know exactly and also um it's so the I, choices I, what i mean is mean like that- i think people create a movement right and i think at that time, yeah. people were able to still listen to the radio and have MTV and not, they could all get behind one thing, right? Like a wave, like push it. But now there's so many options for people to do either gaming or online um, gaming or, you yeah. know, TV or Netflix or just, there's just so many places that people can put their their energy and their time and what they like hobbies whatever and music isn't one isn't a big one of them anymore yeah well one of the big things is now you can listen to any kind of thing you want in your car but back then you really had oh my a cassette God, you had to buy tape. things <laughs> yeah or you had the radio and oh, the radio back oh, then yeah. the radio and the radio was a big influencer because people would call up a station like you did and we'd be able to talk to the person who was playing the record we'd actually be able to connect to the studio and say what was that or can you play this and and it was driven more by the ah, people I right. think yeah but now they just have it all on automatic programming and there's no person there. No, it's all and you know, and if there is and... a, a DJ, right? I mean, 
like right now we're doing a, a podcast. I don't know how many people are listening, whatever, right? But before, again, the options mm. were so limited that you would listen to that one radio show or that one um, MTV 120 Minutes was always awesome, right? And now you just, you don't need yeah. that because you know that you can watch it again because it'll be on YouTube or you don't have to be listening at that yeah. time, you know, because, and so there's just, I don't know um, the numbers of people that would be listening to a particular DJ anymore um, because, again, there's so many things for them to listen to or do um, to take to preoccupy their and, time. Yeah, and podcasts, even though we're contributing to it, <laughs> they, they've taken over as far as what people listen to on their commutes or in the car. Mm. I know I listen to podcasts a lot. I do. I listen to talk uh, radio, you know. Yeah, me too. I've always listened to talk radio, as horrible as it is, because I like to know what the common people are talking about. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I like to know what the regular people I know, are interested I know. in. Um, but getting back to um, why I really think that that won't happen again is because I know that, mm. you know, with the, when people talk about the record industry, it's not just like this big machine, right? It's people. People are buying the people were buying that music. People were going to those shows. People were generating that um, that excitement and uh, that um, energy, right? Um, to people made that happen. It wasn't just a band that made that happen, you know. And it was mm-hmm. absolutely the right time for that band. Um, I, I think. This is going to sound a little bit weird because Nirvana have really nothing to do with the Grateful Dead. But I think that when Jerry Garcia died, I think a lot of people were kind of fucking lost. Um, Because in America, as I've told you before, the Grateful Dead were one of these bands that kind of reestablished themselves in the late 80s that a lot of people got on board with. And it became this thing like, you know, like cool people followed the dead, right? They were one of the only bands that wasn't a fucking hair band or some throwback thing or some shitty, <laughs> I don't know what the fuck, right? They were they were awesome and they gave people like the sense of community and a lot of people followed, went to their shows because it was fun and you could see and meet up with cool people or whatever, right? And um, I think that after... Uh, the Jerry Garcia died and the Grateful Dead were no more I think that there were a lot of people that were especially hungry for something new and cool and of their own right and again when Nirvana came along they had elements in them of not just being like punk not just being um, grunge or whatever but they they sounded a little bit like you could hear the elements of stuff like maybe even the Grateful Dead with the certain choices of the way the chords went or maybe a lot of Neil Young, you know, like Zuma, right? Like I always say that Zuma is the cornerstone of grunge because, you know, oh, like... absolutely right? is. And so that guitar, like you, you could hear that. And so anybody that liked the Grateful Dead generally liked Neil Young as well. And so it was mm-hmm. like... Fucking Nirvana came along and it was like 
Cortez on steroids. You know what I mean? It was like, this is <laughs> like the nephew that Neil, you know what I mean? It was like Neil Young, the nephew of Neil Young or something. Mm-hmm. So fucking cool. And so many people. So you've got, you know, these Grateful Dead kids that were lost when Jerry died that also love Neil Young. Um, you got punk people. You got uh, indie rock people. And and it just, all those people made that band happen. And the band came along at exactly the right time for those people that were looking for something, you know? I feel that one of the other reasons that Nirvana ignited such emotion with people and people got excited about was because in the demographic of age group, which I guess would be now in their mid to late 40s and mid 50s, right? Back then they were anywhere from 19 in 1991 to 30. This age group missed out on uh, the 60s, right? I mean, you had Vietnam, you had the Summer of Love, you had the Beatles. Um, we were a little bit too young then to be part of that, certainly, like the last, the tail end of the baby mo- baby boomers. And we never really had an identity. Back then they called this demographic Generation X, I guess. And musically, we kind of missed out. We had a little bit of disco, but we were even too young for disco, right? Punk, that was always kind of, well, since the early 70s to late 70s, it was around, but it never broke through, really. Um, and so we we got the Grateful Dead in the the second time around, is what I'm talking about. Not the first time around, when the Grateful Dead had their resurgence in the late 80s. Um, yeah, we, you know, we went to a lot of dead shows. That was something that we that we had, but it was, again, it was like a, it wasn't entirely our own, because, again, it was the second generation of it. So when Nirvana came along, I I think people were absolutely ready to have something to call their own, and by the response, it, that's absolutely what happened. Exactly, and it was uh, also, I, I, think it's also environmental because if you look at where that scene exploded from there are a lot of people you know there was a lot of unemployment there was a lot of depressing winter Mm -hmm. sort of things going on so it gave people some kind of excitement to hang on to as well I think do you mean the people in the pacific northwest yeah, so <clears throat> that whole movement came out of mm. that whole feeling. Area. Yeah. Of, yeah, the area, the economy, the weather. Yeah. Yeah. Like people banded together and created something. Yeah. Um, that, yeah, I think that there were a lot of people. I, I don't, I really, I would normally agree with you, but I think that there were so many little bands um, in different pockets of at least the United States um, and and Scotland to a degree right that were mm. that were all there was something happening there were a lot of little bands forming um, that later would become part of this very unique nine time in the 90s 
There was a lot yeah, going like on. Yeah, like you had, I remember you had um, Swerve Driver in England as well. There was, yeah, all that shoegazing music as well. Yeah. yeah. I never liked that stuff, that Manchester, Stone Roads. I never liked that stuff. <laughs> no, but Swerve Driver were a bit different. They were kind of that bridge between that and grunge. I didn't like listen was... to them as much as I should have, mm. I guess. Um, yeah, there's. I yeah, get well, confused. It's like slow to. dive, Swerve Driver. Yeah, you know, so just I don't know. There was so much that came out at that time that I know it was really hard to keep up with it all. I know. I bet I could find a band from that era today that I've never heard and it would be like hearing a new band. Yeah, you know? probably. And then there were the imitators like Bush. <laughs> you know, oh, my like, God. Like, you know, I just know. these imitation kind of Nirvana bands that came along after. Oh, and... See, I'd, I'd long moved on after that. I was looking for something else by the time they um, came out. Yeah, so we, right before Nirvana, also Dinosaur Jr. were like a big one that I loved. And, oh, and yeah. the Blake Babies from Boston and the Pixies. Oh, um, And, of yeah, course, I the replacements and stuff like that. But so it was like that and then loving Neil Young and then the Grateful Dead and then really needing something. Um, something had to, to give, like the floodgates were about to open and it was really Nirvana that pushed it pushed it those doors open you know yeah and it it was a natural progression when you look at it like that when you see that that progression of musical styles coming through starting at Neil Young and the Grateful Dead and yep you know they you can see yeah you can see the path you can hear it you can hear Led Zeppelin Mm. you can hear Black Sabbath you can hear everything was there uh, you know, Joni Mitchell, I know it's dorky, but Joni Mitchell says that songs are like children, right? And, uh, you know, by in- inherently these songs that people do are going to have elements that look like, sound like what they listen to, of course, right? So you'll hear something and Im- immediately it will be familial, you know, it would be familiar. And mm. you are like, well, how do I why do I like this? How do I know this? And really what you're looking at is a like a second generation of something that you already know and love. Um, so it's going to hook you. Um, and I think that Nirvana did that. They they It's kind of like they took something, and I don't think he, obviously it was just a natural thing that he did, but he would take chords that you never would think worked together and flip them around. And the fact that he was a lefty <clears throat> as well made it unique too. You know, when I hear left-handed guitar players or people that play unusual, unusually because of either like like Nick Solomon from the Bevis Frond, he's, he had a really bad motorcycle accident. And so when mm. he had to relearn to play, he had to make chords in different ways than regular people do. And to wow. me, yeah, and to me, it sounds unique and incredible. And then Jerry Garcia had a problem with his finger, like a short, stumpy finger. And then Django Reinhardt, and I think, you know, there's other people. So anyway, and Hendrix being a lefty, Kurt Cobain being a lefty, there's something unique about it. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah, and there was also when you look at Nirvana, when you look at footage or if you saw them live, there's some kind of weird symmetry having a left-handed person playing in a three-piece because it's like you're looking at, I don't know, arms outstretched or something when you've got both guitars facing outwards. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because you don't see that. You'd never see that, and especially if it's like a three-piece. It sort of completes a triangle. That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, totally. See, I'm not the only weird person that thinks like that. No, I totally get it. Yeah. There's something special about um, a lefty in a three-piece, for sure. Mm -hmm. Weird, right? Um, I know. Well, I'm a lefty, but I play right-handed, so I don't get to join the club. (laughs) All right, so let's just get back to this disco dancing in New York <laughs> while we're thinking of it. How did you – so this is just a period of three three or four days, right? No, you this is – no, th- this is more like um, a week because there were several shows in between that I went to that I – Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean I went to the – there was they played in Providence at Babyhead. I went to that, um, and then uh, one in Connecticut, I think. <clears throat> I can't remember, but anyway. So this was like five, six, about a week, I think. Yeah. Okay. After meeting him, and you were driving. You were driving. I took obviously. the bus to New York. <laughs> I took. A, you. I took the. Didn't. Greyhound. Yeah, I did. Oh my yeah. god! I didn't have a car. You know, I was fucking. Subway riding your bike. (laughs) I'm riding my bike. I know. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So you got the bus to New York, but you would have gone with them to uh, Rhode Island and Connecticut and stuff like that. No, I didn't. I borrowed my dad's car to go to to, uh, the Connecticut one. And because I had this job, right? I I worked at Mystery Train Records and Juliana worked there. It was like all these people in music worked there and it was the cushiest most awesome fucking job that you would ever dream of <laughs> and I didn't want to lose this job so I had to keep going back to go to work you know what I mean yeah okay so how did it end in New York did they have to leave to go off somewhere else that what happened um yeah so they they had to leave to go off to um somewhere else they went to uh i guess it you know they started going up maybe like um and i met up with him in ohio um and then detroit and then (laughs) and then uh chicago i didn't go because i had to go back to work and that's when things changed Yes. Now, we all know that things changed very dramatically, not necessarily that you knew about outwardly yet, but we're going to have to talk about this and I hate asking you about it, but are you going to tell us the story of what happened between when Courtney Love entered the picture? Yeah, yeah, I'll I'll tell that story. It's I mean it's all at this point, you know, I'm fucking old. <laughs> She's old too. I know. I'm just like, yeah, all right, <laughs> you know, it's 
might be interesting to somebody. And it, it to me, it's it's crazy. It's an old story, but it's it's pretty fucking interesting. Um, in retrospect, I mean, it sucked at the time, of course. You know what I mean. But my life, it's how many years later? Like nearly twenty-seven years later. My God, you know, and my life turned out exactly the way it should have been, you know, kind of thing. But back then, it really sucked. And um, yeah, and I never really, <clears throat> I've never really talked about it um, properly because I've, you know, life went by and I didn't give a fuck. And now it's like, well, that's crazy. And that would be kind of interesting to talk about. So yeah, I will. I think so. And I think it's really good that you're looking back now with a different perspective because if you're in it, nothing makes sense. Well, it still doesn't make sense, but talking about it now with the, with that time in between and mm-hmm. being able to sort of have other events that inform you of the behaviour, it's <laughs> kind of, it makes a little bit more sense when you realise that this person had all these other things happen to all these other people <sighs> and you you weren't as isolated and alone as you thought you were probably back then. Well, it certainly felt like that. Mm. Again, you know, this is pre-internet shit and and there was there was a lot, you know, some shit that happened that was devastating. So, mm. but that's a that's well, a long story. So, if you want to well, talk about Well, let's talk about yeah, let's talk about that next week because I think we've we've pretty much uh, run up to our time limit for this week. But next week, I'm going to ask you about that, and I'm interested to hear your perspective firsthand, first person, <laughs> first time ever. Well, yeah, I mean, I've I've written well in a public forum. A, yeah. <laughs> oh, Courtney Love. <laughs> God. Oh my God! What an what an absolute um, strange thing that we started out talking about Jerry Love and we've ended up with <laughs> Courtney Love. There you go, right? <laughs> I know the circle of love. Yeah, one we love, one not so much. Mm. But anyway, Happy let's, Valentine's let's... Day, motherfucker! <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, see, we don't do that here, but um, you don't. Yeah, go listen to. No, oh, not really. Okay, no one cares about it. <laughs> um, it's an, it's all it's all American, and it's geared up for the shops. That's what you hear people <laughs> who don't like Valentine's <laughs> Day say. It's too American, but it, as we know, it's not even American. I think it's English, isn't it, or something like that. Anyway, um, what I was going to say is, everybody out there, sign up. Listen to us on iTunes. Go in there and give us a review if you like it. We've got a Facebook page, which is how the hell did that happen? And you can tell us what you think. Give us feedback. Tell us what you want to hear. And also, speaking of Valentine's Day, we should um, we should play the people a song that we're allowed to play, which is <laughs> yay. The song that we wrote together Yay. with Nick Salomon as well. All right. Um, we can do let's that, play can't it. we? We can absolutely do All it because right. we own it. Awesome. All right. So we're going to play um, My Buddy Valentine to close the show. Awesome. More next week. Thanks, Mary Lou.
Talk to you later. Thanks, Marianne. Talk to you later. Bye.
Thank you.